Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you can get podcasts. At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. Ted, wake up. Huh? You look exactly like me. I am you, Ted, from the future. You need to call Progressive. What? Why? Well, they have 24-7 protection when you bundle your home and auto. And my teleportation cube just smashed into your car. Wait, you crashed into my car? Technically, it's our car. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome into Stacking the Box. I am Matt Verderam. We have a great show for you today. We'll be talking about the rookie quarterbacks and their debuts last week, what went wrong, what went right, and what actually matters. We'll also speak with Matt Williamson. He's a former NFL scout and a current NFL freelance writer, and we'll get his thoughts on what we saw last week and what we should expect moving forward. And we also have our weekly dose of Josh Hill, who goes all in on Mitchell Trubisky. Finally, we'll go in-depth on what to watch for next week with week two of the preseason only a few days away. But let's start this week off with the performances of the rookie quarterbacks and what it all means. Starting with Mitchell Trubisky in Chicago, stat line 18-25, 166 yards and a touchdown. And when you watch the tape of Trubisky, and it should be said right off the jump that in the preseason, we don't have access to all 22 films, so we're literally just watching the broadcast and then maybe watching it again to try to see some things missed the first time. But when I watched Mitchell Trubisky, okay, his stat line was pretty much what you saw in the game. He was accurate. Occasionally with throw downfield, if you look at 25 attempts, 166 yards, okay, it's about six and a half yards an attempt, a little less than that. It's, it's not exactly what you want to see but there were also a couple throws at the end of the game when they were trailing that they kind of skew that number uh look I loved his ability to throw on the run the Bears asked him quite a few times to roll out on a design bootleg to the right he did so he was accurate he showed a good base he had a strong arm and that's something that if you're a Bears fan you really love to see because the Bears have not had a legitimate franchise quarterback since if you want to say Jim McMahon, the 80s, if you want to go before that, you're going all the way back to the days of Sid Lockman in the 40s. I thought Trubisky, beyond the ability to throw on the run, which is underrated because there's going to be times in games where you're going to get flushed out of the pocket. And for some quarterbacks, that's the end of the down unless they're going to pick up yardage with their feet. Trubisky showed the ability to make that throw. And that's translatable no matter who you're playing against, whether it's first string, third string, preseason, playoffs. It is what it is. That's that's a trait that he has that's going to help him moving forward. I also saw some nice footwork in the pocket. Now, the pocket was mostly clean for him. Bears did a nice job of protecting Trubisky. Took very, very little in the way of any violence toward him. I thought one thing that was interesting to note, and I'm curious to see if this continues this coming week against Arizona, almost all his throws were to the right side of the field. Now, I don't know. Now, some of that was by design, but I wonder, is that 
first Heisen looked really, really good for the most part. A little bit of a mixed bag. I'll explain why in a second. He went 11 of 18 for 184 yards and a touchdown. Almost two touchdowns, both on deep balls, which I loved. The one being the game-winning touchdown, the other one coming down to the one foot line before the Browns were able to punch it in. Both of them required touch and yet a very strong arm. Both of those balls sailed well over 50 yards in the air. And they were right on the money. Uh, I thought Kaiser showed arm talent that he showed at Notre Dame. And I think sometimes that got lost last year because the fighting Irish weren't very good. Kaiser had a bad year by his own admission last season. And so I think sometimes people overlooked him a little bit. That's why he slipped to the middle of the second round. But his arm is unquestioned. He can throw the ball. Now, that being said, the reason I was a little bit skeptical after the game of him starting right away uh, is because I feel like his mechanics need to be a little bit more consistent. When you watched him throw the football, there were a few times where I felt like his platform wasn't where it needed to be. His footwork, not bad necessarily, just not consistent. So there were times when his arm slot would get a little out of whack, his feet wouldn't be perfectly set, and the ball sailed on him. And those are things that are correctable. They're just things that take a little bit of time, and that's to be expected. And Hugh Jackson is a really good coach for Deshaun Kaiser. I think that's going to be a really nice marriage in Cleveland. Um, ultimately, I came away impressed with what Kaiser Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Kaiser brings to the table. I think if he cleans up some things that are very fixable, I think you're going to see a pretty good quarterback in Deshaun Kaiser because he moved well in the pocket. He didn't bail quickly. There were a couple times he took some shots when he threw the ball. He was accurate with it. All those things are, are innate. You can't coach those up. And I thought he did a nice job. So I think Browns fans should be encouraged. You move on to Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. He had the least action of the four, mostly because it's pretty evident he's going to be a backup in Kansas City. Okay, Alex Smith is the unquestioned starter. If he gets hurt, then sure, you'll see Mahomes. But otherwise, no chance. He went 7 of 9 for 49 yards. His first throw of the game was actually a 41-yard deep ball down the field. Got called back on a holding penalty. So if that doesn't get called back, you're looking at 8 of 10 for 90 and a touchdown. Uh, I thought Mahomes was impressive, especially with his pocket presence and his footwork. The Chiefs first-team offensive line when Alex Smith and there looked great. After that, it was a dumpster fire up front. They couldn't block anybody. And Mahomes did a really nice job of working the pocket, not bailing too soon, but on a few occasions being forced out and doing a nice job of keeping his eyes downfield while he kept the play alive. And that was something that you always want to see out of a rookie quarterback. You don't want to see panic. There was no panic in Mahomes. So I thought that was impressive, as was his footwork, which really, frankly, surprised me a little bit because his footwork was atrocious at Texas Tech. I think if his footwork was better, I don't think he would have been there at 10. And so it was evident to me that he's been working hard to make that footwork better. And, of course, the Chiefs, again, we talked about Hugh Jackson with Deshaun Kaiser, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. 
that's a really nice combination and a really good guy for Patrick Mahomes to work with. And also working with Michael Vick, who's there as an intern coach right now, working with all the quarterbacks. But what I saw from Mahomes was a much improved player from his days at Texas Tech already in terms of the nuances of the game. His footwork, keeping his eyes downfield. He only threw, I believe it was 13 passes in the game. Four of those plays ended up being nullified by penalty. Um, But there were no decisions that I felt were out of hand. You know, when you watch the tape of Mahomes at Texas Tech, there were some times where he would just make wild throws he had no business making. There weren't any of those in what was admittedly limited action. He played about a quarter and a half. Um, The only throw I thought he made that if he made it 10 times would probably get picked three or four times was actually his touchdown throw. Um, He rolled out to his right, and he threw back across his body, floated a little touch pass toward the middle of the end zone. Now, to his credit, it was perfectly placed. But you do that against first-team guys – you might have some favorable results, but there's also going to be some times where you throw a red zone pick and you're going to have some pretty unhappy teammates and coaches. But other than that, I thought all of his throws were very safe, very on point. He was accurate. There were a couple throws where he clearly read the coverage, went through his progressions. Uh, I thought his arm strength was evident. Everybody knows he has a cannon for an arm, and it, it was it was apparent. Uh, so I, I think the Chiefs, look, they were happy enough that the next day they went from third string to second string with him on the depth chart. So... They feel good about him. He's going to start getting second-team reps the rest of the preseason, and I think that's that's where he should be right now. But again, those three quarterbacks to me, Trubisky, Kaiser, and Mahomes, their fan bases, their teammates, their coaches should be very happy. I think you saw a lot of good things. Um, Deshaun Watson, he went 15 of 25 for a buck 79 and a rushing TD in his game on Wednesday against Carolina. Watson left me a bit underwhelmed, and – I know a lot of people would disagree with me on that, so I'll explain my position. I thought there was a lot of schoolyard football in that game by Watson. And and by that, I just mean it felt at times he bailed out of some pockets he shouldn't have bailed out of. Uh, it almost was a little Madden-esque from the standpoint that he would break contain and he'd run around and he'd run five yards behind the line of scrimmage, ten yards behind the line of scrimmage before he'd uncork a ball down the field. You can do that in the preseason against the third-string defense. If you do that in a real game, you're going to get your team killed, and you're going to throw picks, and you're going to take penalties. And look, there's a fine line between playing like Russell Wilson does where he extends the play and he moves around, and then there's times where you're creating a sort of scramble drill for no reason. And I thought at times Watson did a nice job of extending the play. His athleticism is obvious. But I also thought he needs to work a little better within the pocket. I, I didn't think that he got through his progressions well enough at times. There were a few throws in the game that he just flat out missed. And they would have been nice chunk gains, 20 yards, 25 yards, to guys who were, by NFL standards, open. And he just didn't make the connection. Uh, that's not to say I think Deshaun Watson's going to be some huge bust or anything like that. It's, it's, it's one preseason game. Um, but, you know, 60% completion rate. You know, seven seven yards per attempt is not bad. He had a rushing TD. He didn't throw for one. None of the quarterbacks threw an interception. And I, I watched every snap of all of them. None of them even came close to throwing an interception. So that's a positive. But I thought, again, just to wrap it up, Trubisky, Kaiser, Mahomes, I thought all looked the part. And I think, frankly, all of them, and this includes Deshaun Watson, 
looked better in their first preseason action than Jared Goff or Paxton Lynch have looked at any point in their careers. Preseason, regular season, you name it. Um, This was supposed to be a very weak quarterback class. If week one of the preseason was any indication, and very well may not be because it's week one of the preseason, but we saw some good things. We saw some things that should be translatable moving forward. Um, That said, the disclaimer to all that is it is the preseason. People go crazy over the preseason every year, and they fail to remember that a lot of times teams are playing vanilla defenses. In the case of these four quarterbacks, none of them started their games. They were all playing second and third string defenses. Okay? In reality, I'm the Cowboys. Time to get insurance. Okay? Maybe they ought to make a call to Colin Kaepernick. But We'll talk a little bit more later in the show about week two and what we want to see. And, and we'll also talk to Josh Hill, as I mentioned, at the top of the program. He's going to come in. He's got some thoughts about the rookie quarterbacks as well. And I'm sure our next guest does as well. He is Matt Williamson. He's a freelance writer right now covering the NFL, was an NFL scout, worked at ESPN for many years, one of the brightest minds in the business. And Matt, the first question I want to ask you, I led the show talking about rookie quarterbacks and what we saw out of the top four guys this past week. Which one stood out to you and why? Yeah, it was impressive. Um, I did not watch Mahomes yet, so I can't really comment on him. I watched Dobbs. I know he's not one of the top four, but I thought he was very unimpressive, and he was the only one of the group that started. Uh, Webb was in that game, too, did very little. But I think the three to discuss, with you know, not talking Mahomes, are Kaiser, Watson, and Trubisky. And if you recall, Watson's game was first. You know, they played Carolina. Everybody wanted to see McCaffrey and Watson, and all the reports the next day that I read were glowing about Watson. And I didn't see it that way. I mean, I thought, yeah, he looks in stark contrast to Savage. You know, I mean, you can move this guy around. He's got athleticism he's got wheels he has good poise to him but I thought he was highly inaccurate and that includes you know I, I know that his completion percentage wasn't bad but they didn't ask him to make tough throws his ball placement I thought was very poor and I didn't see anybody else mentioning that besides myself um the other two I thought were excellent and I was not a huge Trubisky fan coming out of school I was a big Kaiser fan and I thought both those guys were much better than anyone could have expected. I mean, Kaiser looks like a big Culpepper Roethlisberger, big, strong guy that can run, can make tough throws. I thought he made the most difficult throws of the three. I mean, driving the ball deeper downfield, um, really thought he looked good. And Trubisky was excellent. You know, I, I love the way he he moved. I loved his feet. I loved his accuracy. I, I thought he had the best – accuracy and anticipation and catchable balls and getting it out quick and had a real good feel for what was going on. And, of course, the defenses aren't game-planned against these guys. But to me, Trubisky and Kaiser's debut were highly encouraging. I, I agree with you. I, I really echoed a lot – you really echoed, I guess, a lot of what I said earlier in the, in the show. I, I thought I thought Trubisky on the run was really impressive. Yeah. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't expect that. And he – he was throwing the ball at some accuracy with a with a good amount of zip on it, uh, you know, and and that kind of leads into my my second question for you is just of those top four guys, how many do you feel 
could be and maybe should be starters opening this season? Or is it simply just too early to say at this point? Well, it's definitely too early to say. But I think Kaiser, considering the state of the Browns, and I feel like we know who Cody Kessler is. And at Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. Ted, wake up. Huh? You look exactly like me. I am you, Ted, from the future. You need to call Progressive. What? Why? Well, they have 24-7 protection when you bundle your home and auto. And my teleportation cube just smashed into your car. Wait, you crashed into my car? Technically, it's our car. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. And this obviously goes with the asterisks that can they execute the offense. I mean, you don't want to send them out there like the Rams did with Jared Goff last year when he's totally in over his head. I mean, if, if that's the case, you can't put them out there because it cripples the offense and could hurt the, the, the young man long term. But assuming they are reasonably adept to, you know, change things at the line of scrimmage or if they see a blitz coming to get out of the play they're in, I think Kaiser needs to start needs to be out there and for a couple reasons. First off, the Browns aren't winning anything this year. And they have a wealth of draft picks. They need to know all they possibly can about them. Plus I think he looks really good. You know, I mean I think he's a he's a heck of a lot better prospect than Kessler or Osweiler, that's for sure. Houston's a little bit different because they could win their division, you know, and I think they might have the best defense in the league. That my other concern with Watson, and this goes back to college, is he turns the ball over a lot. And if you have a young guy in there turning the ball over a lot, that's a tough recipe with a defense-driven team is your only chance of really winning. So I think he will play early, and a lot of that's by default. But it worries me how much in terms of, you know, protecting the ball. Trubisky, it's funny because a knock on Trubisky is, you know, he, he didn't play enough games in college. So we're going to sit him. <laughs> you know, like, well, how's a guy ever going to get better if you never play him? I'm not saying that's wrong, but if he looks like he looked this past week for the rest of the regular season, I think you have to get him in there earlier. I mean, his command was really impressive. But I kind of like Glennon. I mean, Glennon didn't play well, but I don't think Glennon's a bad player. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think that's fair. And of the, and I know you haven't watched him yet, Mahomes. He has no chance of starting, barring injury. Um, I would assume so. He's my favorite of them all, to be honest with you. But there makes that makes no sense at all for him to play early. No, and and he won't. He won't. You know, he no. he jumped Tyler Bray, which he should second on the depth chart now. But that's where he'll stay. And. You know, I actually thought, and you'll end up seeing his tape, I thought he, he looked a lot like like Kaiser from the standpoint, good mobility in the pocket. Obviously, we all know the big arm already. Uh, sure. I, I'm, I'm interested to see how he plays with the second team in Cincinnati on Saturday. But, uh, you know, moving on to some more general topics, Ezekiel Elliott. Real quick on Mahomes. Yeah. Just because why you brought him up. The only way I could see him this year, I mean, of course, an injury could happen, but if by chance the Chiefs are – you know, six and six and eight, or you know, like that they're almost out of. I mean, they're out of playoff contention. Maybe the last two games of the year or so, he gets in there just to see him. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I I think that the only way right would be if they really disappoint and they surprise people and they're not good. Then right, know, why not give him a shot? But um, you as know, as long as they're in contention, though, they can't put him in. No, no, I think Alex Smith gives him the best shot to win this year. Um. Sure. But, you know, 
Moving on to the other side, the other conference, Ezekiel Elliott, he gets suspended for six games pending the appeal, which I assume he will appeal here. But if he does serve the suspension at any point this season, how much does that impact Dallas? You hear a lot of talk that, well, the offensive line is so good, anybody can run behind it. I don't believe that. I think Elliott is a very unique talent. What say you about it? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, even if I knew Elliott was not going to get suspended at all and was there week one, I was lower on the Cowboys than most people out there. And I'm pretty sure, I'm almost positive, that I'm going to pick either Philly, uh, both Philly and the Giants ahead of Dallas in the East, even before this news. With this news, and considering their schedule, those first six games, including a bye, they might be two and four. I mean, they might be one and five. And it was a tough slate with Elliott. I think their defense is a problem. Um, I'm a Dak believer, but I also think that more so than some of these other young guys, he's going to have to take a big step forward this year and start to put the team on his back, especially without Elliott there. I don't know if he's ready to do that. Um, the line is is exceptional. It's historically good at three positions, but what about the other two? And depth is poor. Um, I see a lot of regression from Dallas. You know, I'm going to actually build off of your answer and go off script for a second. With, with Philadelphia, I talked to Marcus Mosher about a month ago, and he echoed those same thoughts. That he thought the Eagles were going to win the division. I am somebody who thinks that the Giants are the best team in that division. I agree with you. I think the Cowboys will regress some. But the Eagles, I'm kind of lukewarm on the Eagles. Why do you look at the Eagles and see a team that you think could contend for a playoff spot? Well, I'm a huge Wentz believer. I mean, very, very much so. And I think they did a very nice job of finally getting him weapons. You know, I mean, Nelson Aguilar led that team in wide receiver snaps last year, and when he was terrible. Um, now he's supposedly coming on, and he's the third guy. That's where those guys should be. Um, I think they have one of the better lines in the league. I think their defense is really good, and that didn't seem to get enough notoriety last year, and even better now. Plus, you pick up Darby just you know recently here to make the weakest position on the team a little better. I think they rush the passer well. I think their front four is quite good. I think it's a team very much on the rise, and mostly because of Wentz. Yeah, you know, th- there's a lot of split opinion on Wentz. I, there I is. can't, I cannot get a feel for him. There's times when I watch him and I think he could be a top ten quarterback in this league, and then there's other games where I watch him where he averages you know four point eight yards an attempt, and I, I, I feel like, well, geez, you know, maybe he's more of a, of a Alex Smith type than he is anything else, but I, I just. Uh, you know, obviously he's so young, and he comes from a small school that there's going to be a lot of maturation for him as well. Um, but, you know, you mentioned Ronald Darby, and the Bills on Friday came out of nowhere. They trade Ronald Darby to the Eagles. They move Sammy Watkins for a second-round pick in EJ Gaines to the Rams. My take on it, even though they'll never say it, is that the Bills understand they're just not that good of a football team, and they're trying to rebuild, to kind of go the route of the Browns, accumulating a lot of draft picks they now have two picks in the first the second and the third round next year uh is that how you read it do you think the bills are basically saying look this year is going to be maybe a little bit of a rough year and then we're going to try to reload with some picks oh absolutely and they can say what they want um but i think that's absolutely what's going on new gm new coach they think they have um job security they don't like the the group that they inherited Let's start from scratch. Um, you know, the Jets are trying to do that as well. All about draft picks. And, you know, Sammy's a great player. 
but if he's not going to resign after the year, and it sounds like there's a very, very slim chance he would, at least you get something. You know, that, yeah, you'd got a third-round pick as a comp for him, but that's only if you don't sign anybody else. You know, so at least they get something now for him. Um, I, I, get, I understand what they're doing, but I think they're going to have a really rough year. Yeah, I, I think the only thing that helps them is they play in the same division as the Jets, who I don't even know if they win more than a game. But, you know, my last question, the San, I almost said the San Diego, the Los Angeles Chargers, they seem to be snake-bitten every year when it comes to injuries. Now, they're already without Forrest Lamp, second-round pick, guard out of Western Kentucky, towards ACL, Mike Williams. You know, Ian Rapport says maybe he'll be back in October. We'll see. Still coming back from that herniated disc. And now Denzel Perriman reports are he's going to miss four to six weeks with an ankle injury. I think the Chargers are a really talented team. I think if they could ever stay healthy, they'd be in the mix for a playoff spot, even in the tough AFC West. Do you think the Chargers are a team that can overcome some of these early injuries, or do you think that their depth being tested so early, plus their injury histories, have them positioned maybe for another disappointing year? I feel bad for this team. I feel bad for Phillip Rivers. I mean, I feel like they didn't need Mike Williams, but the front office kind of looked at it and said, we are so sick of you know Rivers having to play with backup receivers and backup offensive linemen. We're never going to have that problem again if we just use all these high picks of there and Phillip can finally take some of the load off his shoulders. Well, then everybody gets hurt. <laughs> you know, and you're back to where you were. It's crazy. I mean, I feel bad for the, the, the fan base and for Rivers and for the young men that are hurt because, honestly, I was really leaning to taking the Chargers to win that division before camp opened. You know, And that's a great division. I have some reservations about the – uh, the Raiders, and I really think San Diego has a good talent base. Um, I don't think I can do that anymore, though. I mean, I still think they'll be a fun team to watch and an interesting team and a competitive team, and who knows how bad some of these injuries are, but they can't overcome all those. You know, I think in that division, I really think Denver this year is going to have a tough year because of that quarterback situation. I just, oh, I do too. I just look at that quarter. And look, I think the defense is still good. I don't know if it's as great as it once was. They've lost some pieces, and they've had a lot of injuries in camp. But I look at Denver and say, that might be a six or seven win team because they just can't score. And Yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah. I have no reservations saying they will be last in that division. And that's a really good last place team, obviously. I mean, you know, they're, yeah, they're better than the Browns and the Niners and those yeah. type of teams. But their offense is going to struggle. Um, I think the defense is really good, but it's not 2015 good. And teams learned that if you stay in base personnel and you attack the inside of that defense and make them keep their, you know, their best defensive, their top defensive backs on the sidelines and keep a nose tackle and an extra inside linebacker on the field, you have a chance. And I think that there's holes on that team a lot and that division's the wrong place to be. Yeah, yeah, I still, when I look at that division, and I think it's the best division in football top to bottom, along with the NFC East, but when, when I look at that division, I still think the Chiefs, even though they're somewhat boring, I still think they're the best team in that division because I don't see the obvious holes that I see with Denver. And Oakland, I think, look, the offense is terrific. The problem is I think it's Khalil Mack and, and basically 10 road cones uh, alongside him. I, I don't know if that defense can do enough. I feel like they won a lot of close games last year. I almost feel like... The same with them as maybe you do with the Cowboys. I expect regression out of them. Maybe not to you know seven and nine, but maybe around nine and seven or so. Yeah, I, I, they had a lot of good bounces last year too. 
I think their defense is a real problem besides Khalil Mack. Basically what you said. I mean, and I like some of the young guys. You know, that secondary is really talented now with Carl Joseph and Conway and all yep. those guys. But they're all young. I mean, young defensive backs rarely are difference makers. Um, and even the offense, I think, is a smidge overrated. You know, do we trust Marshawn Lynch? Is Derek Carr really a top 10 quarterback? I think he will be, but is he right now? Um, I like the offense a lot, but they're going to have to be in a lot of shootouts, and I think that's rough. Um, I guess I'm with you on the Chiefs, except for I don't know where they got better from a year ago. You know, I still think they don't have a real high ceiling, but they're really well coached. Um, I think Tyreek Hill's legit and Kelsey, and I'm never going to be an Alex Smith fan, but the defense is good. And you're right, there's not a lot of holes, but where do they get better? I'm not sure that there's a spot for that. And the one thing I might disagree with you on is I think the NFC South might be the best division in the league. That's an interesting take. If you like New Orleans, I could see that because I like Tampa a lot. Obviously, we know Atlanta and Carolina should bounce back. So if you like the Saints, that that's a fair point. That's a fair take on that. I like the Saints as worst team in the divisions go. You know, I mean, I think they're somewhere between seven and nine wins as usual. Drew Brees will have a big year. Peyton knows what he's doing. They'll win a lot of home games. But I, the team I really like, and you kind of mentioned it, was Carolina. I think Carolina is going to bounce back gigantic this year. Yeah, Carolina, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, some people have gone crazy over Christian McCaffrey. I like the pick, but watching him on Wednesday against Houston, he just, he has changed a direction that's almost freakish. I, I'm really, right. uh, you know, I think they finally have some speed on that offense, which they haven't had for years. I mean, look, Greg Olson and Kelvin Benjamin are, are, are very good players, but they're not exactly burners. And I think, you know, with Curtis Samuel coming in, now you add McCaffrey, I think at least now finally you've got some, You've got some guys who can make something happen once the ball's in their hands. So, um, yeah, I mean, besides the quarterback position, I think they were the slowest team in the league on offense last year, or really the last few years. Um, but the thing I really like is their front seven. I mean, Keekley's back. Davis is still great. I think Shaq Thompson's going to play a lot of uh, play a lot of snaps this year. That that front seven's got a chance to be really, really good, like they were in their Super Bowl year. It, it does, and everything I've heard from from Carolina is that they really like Daryl Worley and James Bradbury on the corners were young guys who kind yes. of thrown the fire last year and Bradbury especially sounds like he's really going to be a player. And if that's the case, that's a, that's a top five defense. Um, agreed. They, agreed. They, uh, and they don't ask a lot from their secondary. You know, as long as the front seven's as good as it is, the secondary can be average like it was in their Super Bowl year. And they will be a very, very good defense. Yeah. Well, Matt, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, great stuff. And we love to have you back on down the line. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Terrific. Really appreciate it. Thanks again to Matt Williamson. Really fantastic stuff. I, I, don't, I don't think there are too many people that you count on one hand who know as much about the NFL as Matt Williamson. Obviously worked in the league as a scout, wrote for many, many years. Eddie has been follow him on Twitter, at WilliamsonNFL. Uh, you'll be better for it. You'll be smarter for it. And now for a segment that maybe you'll be smarter for afterwards. We're going to find out. <laughs> It's uh, the weekly Dying on That Hill with Josh Hill, uh, NFL editor here at Fansided. And, Josh, I'll let you just get right into it. We talked a lot earlier in this podcast about rookie quarterbacks, and you have a take about Mitchell Trubisky. I do. And, you know, it's not necessarily going to be Mitchell Trubisky's fault if this ends up coming true, but I think that he's not going to have a good season this year. I think this is... Jamie's log. Progressive. The Harrington's backyard. Day four. 2.18 a.m. 
I've been camping outside the Harrington house for four days now, proving that Progressive has 24-7 protection. Mr. Harrington says I don't need to do this, since Progressive protects 24-7 is a pretty easy concept to grasp. But I'm going to stay and prove my point. Besides, there's a big tree branch over the roof, and I think it's planning something. Progressive doesn't just offer a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, just not literally from Jamie. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Everybody's jumping on the hype train right away and saying, oh, wow, he had a good first game. Oh, wow, he's doing this right. He can throw on the run. I'm really impressed with this, which is good. But I think that we need to bottle that up and maybe save it for a later date because there are a ton of things that could and probably will go wrong in Chicago this year. And that's all going to blow back on, uh, back on Mitchell Trubisky. And I don't know if that's going to end up hurting him or if that's going to end up making him stronger in the end. But I think he hurt himself by having a good first preseason game. Whereas if he would have come out and been a dumpster fire, people would have been like, oh, the Bears made a mistake. Can't believe they traded up to get him. And that maybe would have taken some of the pressure off. I think by having a good debut, he only makes it worse for him, the situation that he's already in. See, I, I actually feel... As though, first of all, I think Mike Glennon cornered the market on being a dumpster fire for Chicago Bears quarterbacks <laughs> oh, yeah. on Thursday night. He was awful. And I know Matt Williamson talked about, you know, he still thinks he's a good quarterback. And of course, he most certainly could be. It was just one game. Um, on, on Trubisky, we do disagree to, to an extent. I think, look, he, he played well. Again, it's against backups, it's against second and third string guys. They're not game planning for him. Uh, you know, I made mention of the fact, and, and it's been talked about a little bit as well um, on the interwebs that he does throw a lot to his right so you know that's something to keep in mind but I thought I thought he, he gave Bears fans a lot of hope I think the offensive line really is my biggest concern for him in the early going because I like the interior of the line sitting white hair uh, you know but I, I'm, I'm worried about and of course Kyle Long but I'm worried about the outside because when Bobby Massey is your right tackle that's horrifying. But I do think Trubisky could have a good year for this team because I think the wide receivers are a little bit underrated. I don't, I don't disagree with the, with the wide receiver take, but I do think that the offensive line is something that I highlighted as it could be a problem for him because what if you know Jeremy Langford falls off and he has a Todd Gurley type of follow-up year to his, this insane year that he had last year. Everybody's all on the hype train or anything like that. So I'm, just, I'm, I'm unsure of Mitchell Trubisky's ability to weather the storm in his rookie season specifically because the John Fox factor looms so large over all of this I mean the dude's mentally sipping Corona's out in the Caribbean right now like he's mailing it in he's phoning it in and we've known that for a while I mean this is the guy who in Denver said isn't winning the division good enough like that essentially and that's when he had a good quarterback that's when he actually had a chance to win that was when he was nearing the peak of what they were building in Denver this is like a this is being built from the ground floor up and I don't think John Fox is here for the long haul so I really don't want to hold anything that happens this year against Trubisky but I do think that it's dangerous to maybe prop him up a little bit too early when there are all of these factors that can go wrong I'll throw some names out at you and this is this might be egregious and aggressive towards Bears fans I don't want to you know, pull up any old wounds or anything like that. But week six of the 1999 season against the Philadelphia Eagles, a man named Cade McNown came out and threw 255 yards and a touchdown. And people were like, all right, maybe this is going to work out fine. 
The next week he comes out against Tampa Bay, 9 for 23, 83 yards of interception, and we all know what happened after that. A similar thing happened with Jamarcus Russell in uh, week 17 in 2007. You know, it comes out 244 yards, a touchdown, 23 for 31. Eh, you know, maybe this is going to work out a little bit. We, we saw what happened after that. Somebody who might fit the trajectory a little bit more is Paxton Lynch. And if you go back and look at his first preseason, his first preseason game, he comes out, he doesn't throw a whole lot, but he throws well enough to get everybody to say, oh, maybe, you know, Paxton Lynch is going to end up taking the reins. Trevor Simeon, he's fine, but Paxton Lynch is the guy of the future. The next week he comes out and he throws for 113 yards. Not impressive, but after the game, Gary Kubiak comes out and says, He's on a trajectory to be the starter in week one. Week three, he falls off a cliff, and now look, a year later, we're at where we're at. So I'm not saying Mr. Trubisky is going to fall off a cliff like that, but we can't just blindly look at his first preseason game, which emphasis on first preseason game, and all of a sudden say, I think he's going to be all right. I mean, history speaks for itself. Well, I think one thing I will say, if you're the Bears, you got to be careful from this standpoint. Glennon has been the starter all through camp. He's been talked about as a starter. You paid him $45 million over three years, okay? You can basically get out of the contract after this year for minimal damage. They will get out of the contract after this year, barring Glennon going out there and just being better than anybody could imagine, probably including Mike Glennon. Now, if Glennon doesn't play well in preseason and you yank him for Trubisky, and then a couple weeks into the season, Trubisky struggles and you yank him for Glennon, now you have a situation where nobody has any confidence Mm -hmm. and there's no going back. So... I think if you're the Bears, you have to feel very, very confident that Trubisky is ready to go. We all know he's the guy of the future. I mean, there's no question about that. But you have to be very careful with that because if you decide, you know what, Glennon's not doing it for us, we're rolling with Trubisky, and it doesn't pan out, and then you got to go back to Mike Glennon in October or late September. Then you, you've got two quarterbacks who have been yanked, who have no confidence, and, and now you're really in a lame duck season. So I think Trubisky looks good. I think the Bears should be excited about it. Um, I don't think he should start right away. Uh, but I, I think you know if there's a year for the Bears, maybe midseason they're you know two and six, then, then I think you revisit it. But for now, I do agree with you on that one point. I don't think you start him right away. I think you just let Glennon go and you see what you have in him. And, you know, I've watched Mike Glennon in Tampa Bay for a number of years. And he was, ne- he was kind of in a similar situation where he was never really the starter, but he was kind of the starter and he was on the fringes. He's not an unintelligent guy. There's a reason that I was upset that he left Tampa, and that's because the way that you, when you have a smart backup quarterback on the sidelines with your starter with Jameis Winston I honestly credit a lot of Jameis Winston's growth in his second year to Mike Glennon for having somebody who knows the ropes on the sideline to ping ideas off of I mean Dirk Cutter was a big part of that as well but that kind of brain trust and Mike, uh, Mike Glennon being a part of that is important and I think with Chicago they need to play on that let Mike Glennon go out and start we were talking before this they're not going to go to the Super Bowl God knows they're not going to go to the playoffs. This is a lost season for the Bears. This is a part of a rebuilding era for Chicago. And 
just let Mike Lennon go out there and do what he wants to do. You're paying him to, to play. He can mentor Trubisky in the process. If anything, Trubisky can watch him and say, oh, that's what I'm not supposed to do in Chicago. So, I mean, the, really starting him too early is the worst thing that they can do. And history shows that this franchise and quarterback controversies and not handling quarterback situations well, it's not something that you really want to dig up and have a lot of pride in. I do think that Mitchell Trubisky is the quarterback of the future in Chicago. I think after his first preseason game, there is something to be hopeful about and something to be happy about. But let's just maybe wait until preseason game number two before we start, you know, anointing him the next, you know, Jim McMahon or something like that. Well, I'll I'll leave it on this note for you. Of these young quarterbacks, I asked Matt Williams the same question. Um, Would you start any of them week one of the season? Uh, I would not. I would not just simply because I don't want to see a situation like we did where you you, you throw out a guy way too early and he just has no time to grow. This trial by fire, baptism by fire idea, it's nice, but it's an outdated way of getting your quarterback to learn the ropes. Uh, Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you get, you know, a Marcus Mariota and a Jameis Winston. Sometimes you end up getting Robert Griffin III and to a lesser you know, not to insult him, an Andrew Luck who just can't get healthy, who is behind an offensive line that bangs him up and does not protect him. That would be a fear of mine with a lot of these rookie quarterbacks. I wouldn't start any of them week one, but I will agree with you that Mitchell Trubisky might have a higher ceiling than everybody was giving him credit for. So in dying on the hill that I don't think he's going to be good this year, I'll maybe, you know, eat it a little bit for saying early on that I think he was going to be a bust. I'm meeting myself in the middle. But this year, don't count on it, Bears fans. Well, Josh held another shearing take. And believe me, we are keeping all these. (laughs) See, we're keeping everything that Josh is. We're keeping it on record, and we're we're going to skewer him down the line. Me, any any take I have that's bad, we're just going to pretend didn't happen. Uh, No, I'm completely kidding. I, I enjoy making fun of myself. In fact, when the Bears drafted Mitchell Trubisky, I gave him an F. Uh, mostly because I couldn't understand why they drafted him after signing Michael Leonard for $45 million. So that, you know, that was my take on it at the time. I still kind of feel that way. I don't understand why you spend $45 million. Why not just resign Brian Hoyer at that point? Uh, I feel like that would have been probably the easiest way to go uh, if, if you knew you were going to try to draft Mitchell Trubisky. They drafted third. I don't think there was any real doubt they were going to get him. Uh, you know, the Browns weren't taking him. I don't, you know, you, you could tell maybe the Niners would have, but there was, there was no indication that, that was going to happen. So kind of, kind of a perplexing situation. But if Trubisky plays well and he turns out to be a franchise quarterback, Bears fans aren't going to care that they traded a couple of picks or that they signed Mike Lennon. Who cares? You have a franchise quarterback. And after this franchise has seen Kyle Orton and Rex Grossman and Mike Tomzak and Jim Harbaugh, who's a much better coach than he was a quarterback, and Jim Miller and Shane Matthews, and I'll, I'll stop there because every Bears fan is drifting themselves into a bridge abutment already. Um, but you know, now we'll just we'll move into the, the closing thought, and then uh, I am off on a plane to New York. But here's a few things to keep in mind for next week. Okay. The Panthers and the Titans get together on Saturday afternoon. In fact, it's the only afternoon game on Saturday. And I'm really curious to see what Marcus Mariota looks like in this game. There's been a lot of talk all offseason about how good Marcus Mariota is and that we should be expecting him to absolutely explode onto the scene this year. And I like Marcus Mariota a lot. 
Number two overall pick a few years back. He's shown tons of potential behind what is a very good offensive line. This year he's got some real weapons. Uh, I like the signing of Eric Decker. They bring in Corey Davis via the draft. There's there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Titans fan. You know, he had very limited uh, playing time in week one, only two or three for 15 yards against the Jets. And by the way, in a game that was 7-3 Jets, that might have been the worst game uh, of the first week. And a lot of that having to do with Alex Tanney going out there and going 11 of 27 for 132 yards and a pick. That's And being sacked seven times, by the way. But getting back on track, look, I want to see how does Mariota play against Carolina's defense? Because that is, as Matt Williamson talked about, and he was correct, that is a loaded front seven. There is not a better inside linebacker in football than Luke Keekley. Thomas Davis probably hasn't done it long enough to be a Hall of Famer, but he plays on a Hall of Fame level. And you've got some guys up front like Star Latulale, Kawan Short, I like Vernon Butler. They can play. The Panthers are a very good defense. And Ron Rivera, defensive-minded, of course, played on those great 80s Bears teams on those defenses under Buddy Ryan. I mean, he's an aggressive guy. Now, it's preseason. You don't expect him to blitz a ton, but... I'm curious to see what Mariota can do against that defense. You know, and look, it's preseason. Again, it can't be said enough. The Titans only scored three points last week against the Jets. That's going to leave a bad taste in their mouth, okay? They're going to want to do better than that. So I'm, I'm just curious. With Mariota probably getting close to a half, okay, at least, at least a quarter and change, what can he do against one of the better defenses in the NFL? Another game I'm looking at, Broncos and 49ers. Paxton Lynch gets to start in this game. Vance Joseph came out last week, said, look, Trevor Simeon's going to start the first game, and then we're going to turn it over to Paxton Lynch in the second game. Okay? Trevor Simeon has been pretty pedestrian up to this point in his career. Now, look, for a seventh-round pick, he's been terrific, okay, in terms of value. But Trevor Simeon isn't lighting anybody's world on fire. And in his first action of the preseason, he went 6 of 7, 51 yards. It was a very efficient performance I don't think it was anything spectacular Paxton Lynch came in in a reserve role six of nine 42 yards and you you just see the the issues with Lynch they're evident he struggles to go through reads he's not accurate at times and and you just wonder now in year two of this are the Broncos starting to run out of patience well he's going to get a start here against the 49ers and after looking poor against the Bears and enduring a very rough camp, which on Monday, today as we record this, he's already thrown a pick to keep to leave in camp, almost another one according to reports. This is his last chance to win this job, if he even still has a chance. He, if he does not play well against the 49ers, his time in Denver is, is really on the clock because look, he's got two more years guaranteed, okay, and then a fifth-year option. So in that sense, look, they're not going to cut him or anything. But this is, this is two years now of watching Paxton Lynch look, frankly, like a late-round pick. And to be fair to the kid, it's his second offensive system in as many years. But Trevor Simeon has picked them both up faster and better. And Trevor Simeon's not a starting quarterback in this league. He is, he is a good backup quarterback. Trevor Simeon's the kind of guy that if your starter goes down for a month, you're happy to have him. Trevor Simeon is not the guy you want starting 16 games, okay? It, it's not going to end well 
if he is your plan at quarterback. And so Lynch has one last opportunity here to really make this a tough time. How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Decision for Denver. He goes and plays really well against the Niners, who have a good defense, by the way. The 49ers have some talent. If he goes out and he plays well against them, then Vance Joseph suddenly has to make a real choice as to who is going to be his starting quarterback going into week three and most likely at that juncture, the regular season. Then you move on. The Raiders this week will play the Rams. And I'm curious to see, and I, again, talked a little bit about this with Matt Williamson, what is the Raiders' defense? What can we expect out of them that's better than last year? They were dead last in yards per play allowed last year. They were dead last in sacks. Now, they rested Khalil Mack and Bruce Irvin against the Cardinals on Saturday, and the secondary was hideous. They could not guard. Arizona had no problem throwing the ball. Sean Smith, who they paid four years and $40 million to last year, is to the point he's unplayable. Sean Smith is flat-out unplayable. He can't run. He can't turn his hips. He's useless unless he's in press man coverage, which is what he played in Kansas City, and it masked a lot of his problems. In Kansas City, he was allowed to climb up on the line of scrimmage. He's a big physical corner, and he could get his hands on guys and slow guys down. Oakland plays a lot of quarters, plays a lot of cover three, it's a lot of what you see in Seattle. Ken Norton Jr. is the defensive coordinator. He came over from there. He's not built to play quarters. He's not built to play cover three, and it's showing, and they're to the point they've already demoted him to the second string. He went out in the game against Arizona and had a couple of penalties. He got beat multiple times by backup receivers. I think at this juncture, look, the Raiders, you're looking at a secondary that is heavily dependent on Garon Connolly and Obi Melifonwu and Carl Joseph. Now, I like Joseph. Okay, I, I think he's he's more of an in-the-box safety than he is a center fielder, but that's okay. That's fine. Like, Carl Joseph can play. Okay, so the Raiders, I think, have some talent there. Garon Connolly, he's been out with a shin injury. He's yet to get on the field. Melifonwu, he, he's barely been on the field. We're almost done with training camp. And, look, it's hard to come in and be an impact player right off the bat at corner or at safety. It's just, it's a lot to learn. If you make one false step, you're beat. Okay. But the Raiders, you're looking at TJ Carey and David Amerson right now as your starting corners. Look, I know there's a lot of hype around the Raiders and I've been critical. I don't think the Raiders are as good as a lot of people think they are. I am telling you right now, if they start TJ Carey and David Amerson and or Conley and Melifon are not good this year or just simply aren't ready to contribute this year, that defense is going to get torched. And it renders Khalil Mack somewhat helpless because to get a pass rush, even as great as he is, you need a couple seconds. Well, who needs a couple of seconds to throw the ball against David Amerson? Nobody. So I'm very interested to see if the Raiders against what is a challenged offense in the Rams. And I like to pick up a Sammy Watkins. I think it really helps Jared Goff. And I think Sean McVay's a terrific offensive mind. But that's still an offense really trying to figure out its way, okay? If they can't beat up on that offense a little bit, especially if Mack and, and Irvin play, that's bad news. That is real bad news. Now, 
We've talked a lot in this this program about the Bears, about Michael and Mitchell Trubisky. Just to quickly touch on that moving forward, okay, they play the Cardinals this week. It's in Arizona. If we see another performance like we saw from Mike Lennon in the first game, he had a zero passer rating through a pick six. He just looked flustered. He didn't look comfortable in the offense. If that happens again and Trubisky plays well as you know, second string, does he start to run with the starters? Will John Fox say, you know what, going into our third game, we're going to give Mitchell Trubisky the first half? Because if that happens, they're leaning heavily toward playing him as their starting quarterback. Josh obviously talked plenty about it, Uh, and I agree with Josh on one thing. We disagree on Trubisky maybe in the ceiling this year. I mean, if if Chicago is going to go with a rookie quarterback, this would be the year because they're not a good team. They do have a good interior offensive line, although the tackles are not good. I don't think you start Trubisky early in the year. I have no problem with them inserting him halfway through the season, maybe even six or seven games in. I don't think you do it to start the season because if he's bad, it's it's not good. It's a it's all of a sudden you have no quarterbacks, none of them have any confidence. They run into a real issue. But I'm very curious to see does Glennon bounce back or does Glennon play the way he did against Denver? Because if he plays the way he did against Denver, people are going to be screaming for Mitchell Trubisky to get in the game as the starting quarterback. Last point I'd like to take a look at this week: Can the Indianapolis Colts? protect better they played the Lions on Sunday and they looked brutal up front now of course Andrew Luck he's not physically unable to perform unless he's still working on getting his shoulder back after having surgery on it this offseason there's a chance he doesn't even start the regular season on time I gotta tell you if I was Andrew Luck and I watched that offensive line I'd start holding my shoulder and saying yeah you know what maybe the PUP list isn't the worst thing in the world they couldn't block anybody in that game and Ezekiel Ansah wasn't even on the field and Kerry Ryder went down to torn Achilles unfortunately young up-and-coming player for Detroit at eight sacks last year and now he's out for the year it's a tough blow but if you're the Colts look and I think Chris Ballard's done a hell of a job this offseason brought in some real good help on the defensive side of the ball Malik Hooker was an excellent pick Jonathan Hankins bring him in from the Giants he can play Sean Spence get John Simon I think that the Colts did a nice job but they clearly felt like we had to address the defense first and then we'll work our way to the offense. And while I understand that line of thinking, that offensive front, it is, it is so bad. I would be stunned. If they play the way they did on Sunday and Luck comes back, there is no way he's lasting 16 games. Nobody would. Favre wouldn't last 16 games behind that offensive line. And if you're Chuck Pagano, look, if that's what it is, then that's what it is. You've got to keep in a tight end. You've got to keep in a back. You've got to, you've got to max protect every time. I don't care, unless it's a bubble screen or a real quick slant. And if you're luck, you just have to say, the hell with it. I'm getting rid of the ball. If that means three or four more incompletions a game because I'm just getting rid of it, fine. Because he's the franchise. Okay, without Andrew and Luck, the Colts are maybe a four-win team. With them... They have a shot in that division. Now, part of that's because that division's not very good, but part of that also is because with Andrew Luck, you can win nine or ten games. So that's the last thing I'm looking forward to this week, you know, along with some other quick hitters, of course, like, you know, Kaiser, Mahomes, again. You know, I think when you're in the preseason, you always want to see other rookie quarterbacks play. Watson, um, you know, Mahomes gets second team reps this time around Kansas City, so that'll be something to watch in Cincinnati on Saturday night. 
Once again, thank you for listening to Stacking the Box. Really appreciate it. Uh, the response has been terrific. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe. Uh, give it a rating. If you think it's crap, then please don't rate it uh, because nobody needs that negativity in their life. But um, again, thank you. And we'll be back next week to talk more NFL preseason. Week two will be in the books at that juncture. So thank you very much. I am Matt Verderam, and we will be talking to you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.